You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Absent Minded. We are five here today for a roundtable discussion, and I hope this goes really, really well because we're going to try out some other stuff as well. It's me, Patrick Bexel, as a host, and I'm joined by Matt Drake. Thank you, Matt. Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing terrific. All right, absolutely terrific. Matt is about to move, and one who's just moved is Hadi Kalakesh. Thank you as well, Hadi. It's becoming a regular now. Yeah, I'm glad to be here again. Um, thanks for mentioning the move there. It's it's been a mess, as you guys know, but uh, I'm making it through. It's going well. And then these the two normal people or regular people for <laughs> for for uh, for the absent-minded. It's Jared Book. Yes, I'm. Normal is up for debate, but I'm. I am a regular. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized that. But you're a father now, so you know you have to be sort of normal anyway. And of course, our Welsh winner, Anton Rosigod. Exactly. I was going to say, like Jared, it's the first time I've been called normal in about ten or fifteen years. But thank you. <laughs> Here we are, and and obviously this episode, you've seen the title, you know what it is. It's uh, the make the right choice and. Um, we're here to discuss Shane Wright, obviously, and uh, there's a lot to talk. Kent Hughes has just had a uh, press conference the other day where he spoke about um, the choice Montreal needs to make as a first picking first overall in uh, Bell Center as well, uh, where hopefully you're going to be, Anton. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it would be great to, I mean, regardless, I'm going to be like in the area and in the vicinity and going around in my ribbon soin, uh retro, reverse retro jersey and just, you know, yeah. loving life. And so that, that, there you have it. If you see a tall, handsome Swede with a ribbon sun jersey, you know, go up, tell him you, you love his work. That's what you do. Or, or, but... or if you hate my work, say that as well. <laughs> Honesty is best. <laughs> or, or just lie you know we all do it but the, uh, the alternative is is if you see somebody in a ribbon sign jersey um ask for a picture yeah do it <laughs> like m- maybe it actually is sprog ribbon sign who knows might be he's very elusive he's he's yeah. known to be incredibly elusive so and he's european so you know yeah. well could be me. that could be me yeah <laughs> yeah well we're going to talk about the future first overall pick for Montreal Canadiens and it's been a while since Montreal had a first overall um this round table is obviously for the pros and maybe a few coins of, of um Shane Wright we're not going to discuss many of the other names that is being up there we might mention one or two but first and foremost I want to say that a lot of very good people are making their own lists now they put in the effort they put in uh work to actually do this and you know, it's it's fine to disagree. Uh, and if you see them make smart arguments about it, accept it, read it, learn from it. Don't just hate because you can hate. Uh, but looking at at Sean Wright, um, he has been number one for about two, three years. Uh, we saw this with Darlene. It it is tough to change that ranking because of history. Um, he's had a little bit of a down season or or flattened out season so i'm going to start with the with his professional scout here hadi what's your opinion on on shane wright well i've got a lot of time for shane wright um he's a kind of guy who's a decider he sort of dictates what happens when he's on the ice um he reads plays uh extremely well he takes care of the puck like none of in his draft class I don't think he's got the highest offensive, you know, point potential in this draft, but I think he's going to be the most impactful player out of this draft you know, on a regular basis. Um, his, his style of play draws comparisons to Patrice Bergeron, and I understand why. There are some slight differences, but at the end of the day, um, if you're talking about an analytical player who takes his time, reads the play, um, you know, stops moving to evaluate his options for a second and then jumps into the right areas at the right time, times this plays really well, that's Shane Wright. So to me, there's not really a doubt in terms of who goes first overall, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of different opinions out there that uh, have, for example, Slavkovsky or other people with first overall. But for me, 
in terms of impact on an NHL game, right, is the best bet to have that on a regular basis. Yeah. Matt, do you agree? You obviously watched Shane Wright quite a bit this year. Oh. Yeah, I mean, as, as soon as the Montreal Canadiens made themselves uh, quite clearly not playoff contenders, I started watching as many of his games as I could possibly get to. And one of the things, like you brought up the, the kind of the flattened out production there's a few things that that need to be mentioned when it comes to that first and foremost early on in the season they were putting him with Matthew Soto and Paul Lewinsky his coach uh, Luca Caputi talked about this you can find it online if you just google Shane Wright coach comments uh, it'll come up they had him with two rookies and his coach said the reason that he put him with two rookies is because he knew those guys were coming into their first OHL season. Ludwinski was supposed to play his rookie year the year before, but it got canceled because of the pandemic. So he comes into this season having had his own season completely canceled the year before due to the pandemic and immediately has to start and play like the first half of the year with two rookies. And he was carrying them. And they needed him to do that because Kingston is not Hamilton in the OHL, right? You look at the Hamilton Bulldogs, they're an absolute beast of a team steamrolling everybody in the playoffs. Kingston is not them. They needed Shane Wright to help carry some of those younger players. And then all of a sudden, you know, later on in the season, they were once he got everybody up to speed and everybody's kind of back in game shape because they had a full year off because of the pandemic. They let him play with Chromiak a little bit. And all of a sudden his numbers go wild. Right. So, yes, did he not did he have the offensive season that people would necessarily love to see from a first overall pick? No. But 94 points was good enough for top 10 in OHL scoring. And he did that while spending a big portion of the year carrying rookies. So, again, when you look at the production, you have to consider a he missed an entire season. So he had a full year where he didn't get to play at all. B, he spent half the year trying to get rookies up to speed who were playing their first OHL hockey. And then see, once he did get some more experienced line mates, some guys who have already been drafted in the NHL, his production went off. So if you're concerned about 94 points, number one, I'd say 94 points is not bad. It was top 10 in the OHL. And number two, I would say, look at the context of how those points happened. Like Hattie said, I mean, he's, he's a very capable decision maker with and without the puck. And I, I think if you're drafting because you want to have the best possible chance of winning a Stanley cup, I think he's the best player to give you that chance, particularly in the situation that the Montreal Canadians are in. Interesting. And w- what we have to realize as well is maybe there are differences in, in, uh, you know, later late season watchability as well because Slavkovsky has now been part of you know two successful Slovak teams in in the world championships and in the Olympics where uh, Shane Wright hasn't been part of um how much should we learn from that Jared yeah I, I think there's something to be said about Uri Slavkovsky and his performance not only in tournaments but tournaments against men right we're not talking about you know, uh, under 18s or, or, or world junior, not that that's, you know, uh, meaningless either, but it, it does have some value definitely. And, and obviously look, anyone who's in the top five is a good prospect, right? That That's the important thing to, ca- to factor in here. You might prefer one player to a different player, but at the end of the day, they're all good prospects and, and the Montreal Canadians will make the choice that they feel is best whether that's right, whether that's somebody else, uh, you know, it, it's, there, there's a lot of, you know, debate and back and forth, but they're, they're just very different players, which makes the, 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 the comparisons between the two of them very tough. Obviously, even the, the competition is different. There's so many variables between the two, but I find it funny. And, and I'm not, you know, suggesting that I've watched as much film as, as Matt or, or especially Hattie here, but, it's funny how we're having this debate about his offensive potential when at the 2021 under 18, so not this year's under 18s, but the one before he had 14 points in five games, nine goals, five assists. He was tied with Connor Bedard who played two, two additional games. He was ahead of Mason McTavish, who by the way is, you know, seen as one of the top offensive prospects uh, right now also played in the Olympics uh, is on that Hamilton team that Matt was talking about before, you know, ahead of, you know, guys like Logan Stankoven who went in the first round a year ago, older players other than Bedard. And it's just funny how suddenly we're like, Oh, 
his offensive upside is limited. Like I, I just, he's, he's been the, t- the best player in his age group basically since we started paying attention to this age group. <laughs> and, and it's funny how, and there's, there's a double-edged sword to that. You know, we've seen it with John Tavares. We, we've seen it even with Sidney Crosby or even Connor McDavid. There, there are questions that were raised on these players because they've been, the, been in the spotlight for so long. And then there's this guy who comes along like Uri Slavkowski who is putting up a tremendous season. And everyone's like, oh, he's better because we haven't been scrutinizing his game for the last four years. And, and again, it's not taking anything away from him or the people who prefer him. But I think we have to remember why Shane Wright, why the, why the 2022 draft was seen as the Shane Wright draft for years. And, and that's, you know, we just can't judge him on what was a really good season after a year off, but there's more to him than that. And, and I think that, you know, when you look at this, the context of that is important. And, you know, like I said, he was basically having three points a game at the 2021 under 18s, which is pretty telling of, of what kind of player he is. Yeah. I, I can just, uh, you know, say something about that as well, because like, basically I think that we're all kind of guilty of kind of looking at the video game trajectory of players. We want them to like start off at a 72 and then the next season there are 76 and then they're an 80 and they're just having a linear, you know, it's just a linear progress where we know what we're going to get. They're going to increase and become better at everything. And when they're, you know, at a certain age, they will stand at the top of their game. Um, and that's kind of the thing. Like w- when you saw Shane Wright, maybe when he was 15, 16, you just saw like a potential superstar. You saw a potential, you know, the next Connor McDavid coming in. And then obviously he had, a year and a half ruined due to COVID. And then, you know, as, as Matt said as well, he was, you know, put in a kind of a difficult situation this year. And all of a sudden, like, maybe it doesn't look as superstar-esque as it once did. And then all of a sudden, people start nitpicking. And when people start nitpicking, you often become like, it becomes an avalanche. Uh, and when it becomes that kind of, you know, situation, like... I wouldn't say that's the case in like in every situation because we've seen like Nolan Patrick was, you know, a given like everyone said he was going to go first overall. And then he had his difficulties during his draft season and ended up going number two overall and hasn't exactly, you know, made an impact in the NHL. But when it comes to Shane Wright, he's still been pretty darn good. It's just that he's not, you know, scored 140 points in the OHL. And also, like I remember the interview that the uh, Central Sport uh, that that they had on Sportsnet. I think that it was the night when when Montreal did get the first overall pick or something, and um, and they were talking about his coaches and his teammates were talking about how how Shane Wright really wanted to improve other parts of his game because he knew he already had the offense. He already had the offense. Uh, it, when it came like to the OHL level. So he wanted to improve other parts of his game, much thanks to the fact that he appreciates Patrice Bergeron and wants to be a future Selkie candidate. So he wanted to be better defensively. He wanted to be a better 200 foot player. And like, if you are focusing on that, obviously you're not going to end up in the scoring column as much as you would have done if you would have been a selfish bastard and just, you know, gone for <laughs> gone for the shot or the, you know, decisive pass every, every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're, we're, ta- we're talking about a guy who had 39 goals in his 15-year-old season in the OHL. Yeah. In yeah. 58 games. Like, he led his team in scoring as, as a 15-year-old rookie in the OHL. And the, the leading scorer for goals in the OHL, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was Luke Evangelista. And he took, like, 200 more shots on net than Shane Wright did. So yep. is that because Luke Evangelista was just on the ice that much more? No. I, I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to double-check this, so don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure their minutes were pretty similar. But Luke Evangelista, he's just putting the puck on the net. Why? Well, London needed goals, and he was the guy, so he was putting the pucks on the net. Shane Wright, according to his coach, and again, I'm speaking directly from what his coach says about him, he never complained about the fact that he had to play with those rookies. In fact, as Anton mentioned, he was focused on developing that 200-foot game because he idolizes Bergeron. So if you idolize Bergeron, what's the number one thing you got to do is get better at defense, right? There's not a lot... I mean, especially in junior hockey, in the CHL, everybody's focused on just let's fill the net, right? He was focused on how do we try to avoid 
other teams filling our net. There was another story, by the way, and this is kind of off topic and an intangible, but the GM, I believe, told a story about how one time they went on a bus trip and they get to the end of the bus trip and they're all getting off the bus and going into the hotel and the GM can't find Shane Wright. He goes, where's Shane? I don't know where he is. And so he goes back into the bus to go check and turns out Shane Wright's in there helping the bus driver clean the bus. <laughs> Man, I know that character is a word that's thrown around pretty willy-nilly, especially by the Montreal Canadiens organization. But when you tell me that the, the, the captain of your team, the consensus number one overall pick in the NHL draft takes time to stop and help the bus driver clean the bus at the end of a long trip. That's the guy I want. And that's the guy I want. Yeah. The guy who's focused on getting better at things that he doesn't feel like he's good enough at. And that's focused on helping other people, helping rookies, helping bus drivers. That's the guy you want. That's the guy who's going to show up and put in work with your skills coach to fix anything that you see in his game right now that you don't like he's the guy I believe is going to actually put in the work to try and fix that. Yeah. I mean, you talk about going the extra mile, that's the definition of it. And that's the thing that I like, you know, to focus on as a scout is are there players that if you take one thing away from their game, it falls apart. Like if you tell, if you tell Luke Evangelista, you can't, you know, throw a one timer on netting. <laughs> what else does he have to offer? You know, you can't do that with Shane, Wright. He's so multifaceted that no matter what you try to take away from his game, he's got like six or seven other elements that he can excel at and be, and, and, and be an impactful player. You know, there's the leadership, there's, you know, going the extra mile, the dedication, the maturity. Those are just, you know, the mental aspects, sometimes only off ice aspects. And then you look at his game, you see his shot, you see his playmaking ability, you see his vision. Um, the way he gets off the boards, the way he times his rushes, you know, he switches between lanes on the rush. There's so many levels to his game that, you know, every other prospect in this draft, they see maybe two or three things that they're really good at and the rest are average at. But Wright's game is so complete. It's so pro ready that, you know, he can only build up from here. And he has the dedication. He has the drive to go the extra mile and do these things that'll make him an even better player. So that's why for me, there's no doubt about him at first of all. Looking at stats, as, as we've spoken about here, uh, and, and comparing leagues is really, really difficult as well. Um, if you look at Liga, if you look at SHL, compare these are pro leagues with men, uh, but also looking at, at uh, OHL or, or CHL leagues, um, it's tougher because that's junior league. So it's, it's also a little bit of comparing apples and oranges, and I think that's get lost a little bit because you sort of expect everyone to score at a very high rate in, in junior leagues, and you have an understanding for not scoring as much in, in, um, in pro leagues. But looking at it, like, what can be the expectations for Shane Wright next year? Because arguably I can say that. if I And I haven't watched a lot of Shane Wright, I'll be honest with that, but I can more or less see that Uri Slavkovsky will have a bigger impact next year on the team he goes to and plays in the NHL uh, than maybe Shane Wright will. Well, I mean, if you look at what, what did Ken Hughes say, right? We don't want necessarily the best player for next year. We want the best player for the future. So if, if he feels that Uri Slavkovsky would be the better player for next year, I mean, great, take him, right? But nobody... I. I would you legitimately expect Uri Slavkovsky to show up and all of a sudden turn Montreal into a playoff team? I don't think so. I think the only way Montreal stands a chance of making the playoffs next year is if Carey Price comes back and not only comes back, but comes back to Vesna form. So realistically, you, you have to be drafting within the context of who is the better guy for us moving forward that gives us a chance of when we're ready to compete, of getting over that hump and of winning a Stanley Cup. And that's where I think it's it's Shane Wright, right? What are the expectations for him next season? I honestly don't know. I think he'll play in the NHL, but I think the nice situation in Montreal is that you don't have to keep him there. You could give him the nine-game tryout, give him a taste, and you could let him go back to Kingston. And then you could basically tank another year and try to get a shot at who everybody believes to be a generational player in Connor Bedard. So there are options in Montreal. I'll tell you one thing I'm excited for is the August World Juniors, because I think my boy Joshua Hawaii is going to be on that team. And I'm going to start an aggressive Twitter campaign to convince Hockey Canada to put him on Shane Wright's wing so we can get a little look at that, because that's something that I would like to see in the preseason next year. Let me tell you. 
Hadi, you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, what I'd say is, Christian, right? You know, I like to do pros and cons of this, of this kind of stuff. You know, there are a lot of things in life in general. It's a good idea. And the pro list exceeds the cons list in terms of sending him back to the OHL. Um, first, he missed a year of development. I think having that extra year in the OHL to make sure he runs the league to dust and absolutely dominates like we know he can, that'll be good for his confidence. Second, I, I'm not sure how good it would be for him to play with such a young core that we're going to have next year. Um, there's going to be Jordan Harris, Caden Gouley, uh, Matthias Norlander, uh, a couple more guys that are going to be competing for spots. I think a lot of them are going to get in the lineup. And Wright's a guy who likes to circle down and help his defenders. Um, and if that doesn't work, if his defenders look down and puck regularly into the spots, um, that could kill his confidence as well. And also, you know, what's the rush? 2023 is going to be the best draft in the, in the in recent memory. So yeah. I am completely not opposed to the idea of the Habs getting a top three pick in that draft. You've got uh, Bedard, Michkov, and Fantilli in that top three that are going to be just outstanding NHL players. So worst case scenario, we tank a year, get a great draft pick, and come back even stronger in 2024. I don't see the, the inconvenience in that at all. So to me, the pros list is, is extensive. The cons list is very, very small in terms of sending right back to the OHL. Are you following AHL? How much of a deal is it that you can't send Shane Wright into the AHL team? Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I, I think that there are certain like they they're kind of playing with that rule, right? They 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 allowed some junior age players who spent the year. You know, if you're a first round pick and you played the pandemic year in the in the AHL, you were allowed to go back. So they're they're trying to ease the restrictions here, but. I I feel like he that th- that's the perfect example of of a guy who might need a little bit more time or, or a little bit more of a challenge between the OHL and NHL. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him go to Europe. I know that that's very unrealistic at this point, but I, I just feel like I I think that there's a challenge. He needs to be challenged more. I don't know if going back to the OHL, he almost seemed like I I think that a, a big part of this season. And why his points totals weren't weren't as high is because he was trying to do other things than just play his best hockey because it was like boring him. And not in a bad way. I don't want to say that he like it's a character issue. I, I just feel like he's he's looking for ways to challenge himself besides just playing hockey. And, and I wonder if maybe that's uh something that you know, I, I'm not in his head. I don't actually know for sure, but I just wonder if there's like Maybe a, a little bit of a challenge. I, I wouldn't mind to see him in the NHL. I know that the defense is probably going to be a little young, but if you look down the middle of the Canadians, you have Suzuki, Dvorak, Evans. Shane Wright can slot in pretty well there, and with not a lot of expectations, with Marty St. Louis as head coach, I don't think that's the worst place either. Uh, again, we don't know what this front office thinks about development, right? You know, uh, if we if we go back to the Bergevin era. Obviously, you know, the, the history showed that he'd be in the NHL next year or whoever they pick would be in the NHL next year. I'm not convinced that even Slavkovsky would be in the NHL next year. I, I think maybe you'd be looking at maybe a little bit of a, uh, a year where he can go to the AHL. Maybe if he wants to come to North America, stay in Europe. There, obviously, there's more options with a guy like uh, out of that's not in the CHL. But for me... Yeah, I mean the AHL would be ideal if you can send him down, you know. But look, you can you can get him at training camp, right? You can see him in preseason. You can see him in practice with and against NHLers. I think that everything that that Shane Wright makes Shane Wright a good hockey player. All of his tools will be improved when he plays with better players, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that you know you saw it a little bit with Junior when he played with Chromiak, his numbers went up, and it wasn't just because Chromiak was carrying him. It's because you look at Nick Suzuki as an example. When he was coming up with the Canadians, when he played with good players, he he played better, right? When he wasn't on that fourth line, even when he was on that fourth line, because even fourth line NHLers are pretty good players, his numbers went up and he never touched the AHL. So I, I think that there's something to be said for him being in the NHL, but that's what training camp is for, right? We're, we're talking about hypotheticals right now. Training camp gives you, and especially your preseason, gives you a little bit better idea of, is this person overmatched? Is this person ready to help us? What's best for development? Look, they have a lot of people in development with the Canadians right now. They have skills coaches. They have. If you send them back to the OHL, 
you kind of lose some of that control. And I don't know if that's necessarily something that uh, teams want to do a first overall picks, whether it's the Canadians or not. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, I don't, I'm not opposed to him going back to junior, obviously. Uh, I'm not opposed to him being in the NHL. I think that the Canadians will make the the decision that they have to make. And, um, you know, we'll judge it once we see him on the ice. If that's the pick, who knows? Whoever the pick is. I think the, the argument, the, everything I'm saying now, um, the same thing applies no matter who they pick, unless they pick someone like Logan Cooley, who who can't come to camps because he'll be in the NCAA. Anthony. Yeah, it's just, I mean, basically, I, I think we're all kind of, what you say, like shell shocked or something from Jesperi Kotkaniemi and and yeah. Alex Galchenyuk, obviously, um, yeah. and and the way that they were thrown into situations that they maybe weren't quite ready for, even if they, you know, they they, they looked quite ready at training camp and everyone was hyped up for for that, but then they didn't develop as we wanted them to, and we blame that on them coming into the NHL too early, but. I mean, it all comes down to the player, right? It's it, like we can't just automatically say that because this happened with these players, then it's going to happen with every player. Like it didn't happen with Connor McDavid. It didn't happen with Jack Eichel when they came into the league. It didn't happen with Rasmus Dahlin. No, like people could say that he would have benefited from another year in Sweden, like if you if you want to. But it didn't happen to Austin Matthews. Um, it did happen a little bit to, uh, or, or quite a lot to Capocaco, for example. Uh, but no one saw that coming as well because he looked very pro ready when he, uh, you know, when he was drafted. So like, as Jerry said, we will have to look at training camp is if Shane Wright comes into training camp during like August, September, and is, you know, challenging Nick Suzuki. Like, I mean, he's, he's clearly one of the better centers on the team. Are you just automatically going to send him back to the OHL where he's clearly too good? No. Why would you? Like, if he's NHL ready, then he's NHL ready. It doesn't matter if he's 18 or if he's 25. Like, it's just, are you good enough to play at this level? Then obviously you're going to play at this level. But it's just a good thing that it seems like our newly appointed head coach, Martin Saint-Louis, uh, and the newly appointed, newly hired front office seem to know, or seem to say at least, that, you know, we're not going to stress anything here. We're not going, you know, for, for a title next season. You know, we're going to build this in the right way. We're going to do, you know, build the foundation first. And that means that if a player like Shane Wright were to play in the NHL next season and he were to have a a situation like Jesperi Kotkaniemi had, like, for example, that, you know, once you get 30 or 40 games into the season, you start to notice a little fatigue or something. You can just sit him for a while. You can just send, well, you can't send him down to the AHL, but like you can just sit him and he can just learn by just being there. It doesn't matter. Like it's not, it's not something bad. He's still going to learn so much from just being in the NHL. And if they decide that he's not ready enough, then great. He's going to go back to the OHL and he's going to get all the support in the world from the organization. Like, obviously he hasn't had that in the past. He's had his team, he's had Kingston and, and, you know, his family and all those people around him and his agent. But now we will have an organization that will say, you know, we want you to improve this to be ready for next training camp. We want you to be our, you know, top six center starting 2023. And this is how we want you to do it. Jared. Yeah, I just want to touch on something that Anton said. And you mentioned Galchenyuk, Kotkaniemi. They both had really good 18-year-old seasons in the NHL, both of them. And and I think that the issue with the the Mark Bergevin regime in particular is that he kept on saying that the NHL is not a development league. And I think that the issue with what he said is that he was basically telling the truth of how he felt because the NHL is not a development league. But development happens in the NHL. And, and I think that yep. he, the, the issue with Galchenyuk and Kakanyemi, and Ali will die on this hill, is that the issue for them is that they didn't improve in the NHL. And that's on the organization. Because you, I don't think you can look at the numbers that either of them put up in their 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20, even 20-year-old seasons and say they didn't belong there. And I think the issue is that they didn't improve. And, and that's on the organization not giving them the tools because 
it's one thing to say, oh, it's not a development league, but you have to still understand that these players are still 18, 19, 20, even older. Like look at Cole Caulfield last year, right? He's older, right? He's an older player. And it wasn't until he had basically a, a week at Wisconsin to basically just skate around with Fuel Armia where he came back and, and played well. And then the coaching change happened, you know, basically one game after and everything turned around for him. That's development, right? It doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. And, and I think that that's the, the thing to remember is that, yes, there's shell shock. There's uh, of those previous examples, but I, I think it's hard to argue in retrospect that they weren't, they didn't belong. The issue is that you still have to f- worry about development, even if they make the NHL. It doesn't mean that they're done developing. And, and I think that was a major issue with those two in particular. Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to circle back to what Hattie said, right, about the, the pros outweigh the cons and of sending him back to junior. And that is what I agree with. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you do it, right? Like, But that being said, we talked about, you know, needing a challenge, right? He had a challenge last year with Kingston. That team had 10 rookies on it, right? And of those 10 rookies, I think seven of them were 2005 uh, birth year. 10 rookies. Right. And the, so a lot of people look at the playoffs and they look at the overall results of the Kingston Fountain Axe and they say, well, Shane Wright didn't have a great season. He wasn't able to carry that team to the promised land. It's like, well, again, I go back to nobody was beating Hamilton in the OHL. Right. So even if they got through North Bay, they probably would have ran into a brick wall in the form of the Hamilton Bulldogs and they wouldn't have gotten much further. So there's your challenge. If you send him back to junior, there is still a challenge for him there right, is now they're going to have a little bit more experience on that team. They are going to lose some bodies, like Lucas Edmonds uh, is definitely going to be gone, uh, Zade Wisdom gone, um, Jordan Frasca gone, but you still have a challenge there in that now you have a bit more of an experienced team. You're going to be clearly the leader of that team. You're going to be eating a lot of really big minutes, and what can you do with this slightly more experienced roster, right? Are you going to go and you're going to have – those uh, offensive totals that everybody was hoping you were going to have the first time around. Now, again, all this being said, I do agree with the sentiment that if you do the nine game tryout and he's one of your best players in those nine games, if he's clearly good enough to be there in the NHL, of course you keep him in the NHL, right? If you believe that that's the best place for him to develop, then keep him there. My argument is really, you know, if you get to the end of those nine games and Montreal's one and eight, They're getting steamrolled every single game. Like Hattie said, he likes to circle back and help his defensemen. Those rookie defensemen are not, you know, playing with him as well as you would hope them to play. Then at that point you go, all right, well, I think the best thing for him is maybe to go back to junior because there is still a challenge there. I still do believe that there is some developing that he can do there. Do you have more control in the NHL? Yes. But the only way that you keep him there is if after those nine games, you have determined, yes, this is an NHL-ready player, and we want him to be playing here. Howdy. Yeah, I was just going to circle back to um, to something that, that Jared said earlier about uh, Bergevin mentioning that the NHL is not a development league. And I always found that weird because the mindset should always be progress. Every league is a development league because you're constantly developing everyone, not just your young kids. Um, I had this phone call, uh, this one-on-one video call once with Jack Hahn, who's a brilliant, brilliant um, hockey mind and, and a former ice on the price contributor absolutely yeah um we had a call where i was mentioning i was asking him like when does development stop like like how far can you can you bring this like can you develop someone who's 35 can you improve their game and what he told me is anyone can improve it's just to what extent so to me the mindset of constantly being on the improvement side i think that's something that shane wright actually nails down brilliantly and every one of his interviews, I can see clearly that he's in that mindset of, I constantly want to improve. I constantly want to grow my game. Um, and I think that that's a switch up that would make him translate to the NHL very well, because no matter what the, 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 the mindset of the front office is, Wright's mindset is set on that. He knows that he needs to improve in every element. He always needs to be in that mindset. And that it never stops. Even at 30, 32, 35, he's going to find ways to beat um, the, the, the age regression and adjust his game in small ways that translate well on the long run. Because I think that Wright has, there's a possibility that Wright reaches that point, that John Tavares point, where his skating just stops being good enough to, to keep up on a regular basis with plays. 
but I think he's going to adjust his games in, in, in ways, you know, he's going to watch video. Um, and especially with the new scouting, the new staff that they has brought in, I think he's going to be well surrounded to make those adjustments. And we're talking way down the line. I can just see that happening with him where he constantly finds ways to slightly adjust his game in ways that translate well, even in the later stages when his legs start to give up a bit. Um, he doesn't have as much upper body strength, you know, the things that usually come with age regression. Um, I think Wright's going to be a very good player for very long time. I have to yeah. toss out a question in general, London and Anton is going to get it, get the word, but um, we're talking about shell shocked in regards to Kostkaniemi and other players, Galchenek, etc. But also um, Hughes and, and Gordon hasn't really had i mean like there are some standout players or or draft picks that didn't go too well in new york either um leas anderson one of my favorite players uh because of, of having interviewed him and, and seen him play for so long and see his dad played even longer uh and and obviously kravtsov in 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 uh, russia um can we be confident that they have learned from their mistake but um, i'm going to give anton the chance of as i like, continue with his train of thoughts uh that he had before i asked that question you others can think yeah. about it yeah yeah I, i i can take that as well like i was just gonna say the, the first thing i was gonna say was just like um cole caulfield what what had he said about like shane wright always want to progress and and cole caulfield has kind of had the same mindset uh since he was drafted and i think it's a good thing as well if if a lot of people start doubting you when you're you know young and you've always really done well like both shane wright and, and cole caulfield have done there's really like nothing when, when you look at them when you see them play there's really nothing to be that worried about but apparently people start worrying well with cole caulfield it's always been his height well his less of height Um, and with Shane Wright, there's just a lack of, you know, something, you know, that you can see instantly that it's exceptional. Um, but if you have the right mindset, the right mindset, um, no pun intended, but, but like th- then just start to feel that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to train, you know, twice as hard. I'm, I'm going to be better at everyone, uh, better than everyone at, at this and this and that, because I want to prove my doubters wrong. Right. Um, and we see that from a lot of, you know, great sports personalities who have just been, they've said that the doubters have actually made them, you know, a lot stronger. Cristiano Ronaldo is an obvious example. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Ibrahimovic is another from the, you know, football world. Um, we saw Rafael Nadal last night. Exactly, you know? exactly. And, and it just like, if you have that mindset that you always want to be better, then it can even be, you know, added fuel when... Um, when when people start doubting you um and in regards to um what you were saying about what was the question like how can are we certain that the new management that has yeah, exactly. had some big exactly. impact picks not work yeah. out as well exactly so that's mainly jeff gordon because obviously kent hughes has never been a in a front office before but like I hope, and what we've seen uh, in this short time from Jeff Gordon, he seems like he's a reasonable, you know, GM. He seems thoughtful. He seems like, you know, also we've seen um, to some extent that um, it may have been something with like the whole Rangers uh, farm system hasn't, you know, like it hasn't worked out as well. We see it with Nils Lundqvist now as well. Uh, like talented players who have just not worked out there. Um, I think it would be hard to put that down on on the GM. Like it's it's your whole developmental, you know, um, system. Um, but yeah, obviously we'll have to see if Jeff Gordon has learned. And and that comes down to um, you know the players that Montreal has drafted in the past in the Mark Bergevin regime as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's a legitimate concern. Uh, Jeff Gordon's development um, history, especially with the Rangers. But at the same time, I, I think that he might understand a little bit more about patience, right? I mean, look, everyone, all the questions that we had about Shane Wright, we have about Shane Wright or that are being raised about Shane Wright, they had none of those questions with Alexi Lafreniere, right? Alexi Lafreniere was seen as franchise player. No doubt about it. There was nobody saying, well, actually, 
I think that, you know, you saw some people saying Quinton Byfield might be better, but that was more about center. Um, it, it wasn't, no, no one had doubts that Lafreniere was going to be a franchise player. And he, he had a slow start. Yes, there's COVID. You know, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but, but he still had 19 goals this year. But look at the playoffs. Look at the Rangers right now. Who's leading? Like, yes, the the the, the Criders and Zabinajad, they're, they're the players that are leading the way. But they wouldn't be where they are without Philip Hedl, without Alexi Lafreniere, who are taking okay. steps forward. Sure. Sure. And, sure. Well, yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. Him. yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I, I'm talking about forwards here because there's no problems with his development. Um, yeah. if, if you want to talk about uh, development, that's a success story for Jeff Gorton. Um, not that, you know, he had not to develop in, in North America. But in, in terms of things like that, that that's the, the major uh, difference here is that we, we, we saw that with Montreal, right? What, what was the, the coming out party for, for Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki? It was the playoffs after the bubble, right? Yep. It basically made Max Domi expendable. It, it basically, you know, for, for better or for worse, um, maybe made Philip Dano uh, not a priority to be re-signed, which ended up being a mistake, obviously. But, yep. but, but, but what happened was that was the step forward that they needed to be to take, and they did. And, and I think that you're seeing that with, with, with Lafreniere and Hedl as well. So, yeah, is Gordon's history a concern? Yes, but just like we expect players to develop, I think that we could also expect management and executives to develop. And I, I think that he's aware of what, you know, the shortcomings. Uh, I think he's also aware of what worked, considering the team that fired him less than a year ago or about a year ago is now in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, but I think that there is a concern, but I think that there's also something to be said about development of you know we talk we look how many coaches have done better in their second jobs than their first ones and, and i think that there's there's something to be said about learning from your mistakes as an executive as well we you know development doesn't look like like hattie said development can happen as a player in their 30s uh and development can happen in executives as well and you have other people involved right you have adam nicholas who was hired who wasn't obviously in new york uh, you have Kent Hughes, who wasn't in New York, Marty St. Louis, uh, who was obviously a key to uh, this whole development as well. So I, I, there's something to be said about surrounding yourselves with with a development staff. And, you know, a lot can be said about how, you know, Gorton wasn't the the head of hockey operations. They had John Davidson there um, and obviously an owner in New York that is uh, uh, maybe not as uh, open walleted as uh, Jeff Molson is, is, is right now <laughs> uh, in terms of hiring people. So um you know just ask new york new york nick fans about how they feel about james dolan but uh i feel there's something to be said about having the ability to build an operations department like you want to you know chris boucher uh as assistant gm in in terms of analytics there's a lot of people involved that weren't in new york and and i think that that's something to be you know it's look we're gonna judge this front office based on the results uh, as of right now, there's not really much to go on except a lot of pretty good trades and a lot of really good hires. So, and some lottery luck. So all those three things, they, it's been a success. Um, where they go from here will obviously have to be evaluated on a case by case basis, but yeah, it's, it's something to be aware of, I think, but I don't that's- think we can say, Oh, that's what's going to happen in Montreal. The development is not going to be good because the Rangers development has not been good. Uh, I think that's a little bit too simplistic. Well, speaking of success, you mentioned success. You also mentioned Boucher. Boucher is also a former Habs Eyes in the Prize contributor. So I just want to mention that, <laughs> you know, our decade long plan to take over the Montreal Canadiens organization is working very well. You guys can expect me to take a job uh, working at a hot dog stand in the Bell Center next year, uh, maybe. But <laughs> to talk about learning from your mistakes, I think there's also something to be said for learning from other teams mistakes. So you could look at the Rangers situation and you could look at that, or you could look at mistakes that people didn't make. Right. So one of the comparisons that keeps getting made, and I do not want to say that Shane Wright is Austin Matthews. And I do not want to say that Uri Slavkovsky is Patrick Line. Now I think both teams who are picking one and two would probably be pretty happy if that turns out to be the case. But the comparison I want to make is I got Patrick Line's stats open in front of me. When you look at that season, his draft season was pretty damn impressive. He was playing against men in Finland and he had 17 goals, uh, which by the way, 
quite a bit more than uh, Uri Slavkovsky has this year, if I'm not mistaken. Five. Um, and he also played internationally for Finland as well. So looking at his international stats, he went to the world championship, seven goals, five assists in 10 games. That's 12 points. Uh, he also played at the world juniors and he had seven goals and six assists for 13 points. So his international numbers were great. And he also did the internationals against men. Right. So when you looked at that, what did you have? You had a center who looked like a very complete player. Um, I think he probably definitely has more off offensive upside than Shane Wright, but let's put that definitely, aside for a yeah. second and say you had a complete player in Austin Matthews as a center, or you go the other way and you go for the big winger that can score. So I ask you, if the Toronto Maple Leafs pick Patrick Laine instead of Austin Matthews because they got FOMO, fear of missing out, and they said, we don't want to miss this big six-foot-five winger that puts the puck in the net, if they went in that direction, how do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs organization would look right now? I'm going to go ahead and say everybody involved is fired. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say they don't even have the level of success that they've had so far. Now, we all know they can't win around in the playoffs, but you know what? It's never going to happen. So what would they look like right now? It would have been a massive mistake, and it would have been born of what? Fear of missing out. <laughs> So the point I'm trying to get across here is learn from that mistake they didn't make. Don't get FOMO and go after the big winger who's putting some pucks in the net because, yes, I, I do think he's going to be a good player. I think a lot of the points that have been made about him maybe being a little bit more NHL ready than Shane Wright, maybe he's going to be a better contributor next year are correct. But listen to your gut. Listen to what Kent Hughes said. We want the better player for the future that's probably going to be Shane Wright. I believe it's Shane Wright. I think they believe it. And I think that's the decision they're going to make. Learn from mistakes that weren't made as well as mistakes that were made. Howdy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add um, to something that was mentioned earlier, but real quick on that, um, Patrick Liney actually almost went first overall. There were, there, were genuine, there were genuine discussions in the sphere going like, okay, maybe Matthews is not the first overall guy. And now with hindsight, it looks absolutely ridiculous because <laughs> you can see how, you know, by far and away, Matthews is a better player of the two. Um, but to circle back to something we said earlier about Jeff Gordon and um, how development can happen in front offices, I think the main connective line between players and front office um you know, people in terms of development is habits. Uh, having the right habits is what builds better development. Um, Shane Wright has great habits. You can see it anytime he speaks to anyone, anytime he hops on the ice, the habits are there. And Jeff Gorton, for all the, the things that went wrong in terms of players and picks that, that he's made, he's got good habits. He does not hesitate to trade up when, he, when there's a guy he really wants. That's a good habit. Because the, the drop-off between 10 and 20 and then 20 to 30 in, in terms of draft picks is very steep. It's, it's exceedingly steep. So that's a good habit to have if you're a guy who has the decisional power to trade up in, in a draft and you have picks to spare. I think the Habs are in a perfect, perfect position to do that this year. We have quantity galore in, in, the, in the pool. I Trust me, I know. I've been covering way too many guys this year. Uh, we've got all, you know, all the guys we want, we've got them. It's just the quality that we're missing. So if we trade up, let's say we trade the picks 27 and 33 for, I don't know, pick uh, 17, 16. Let's say Frank Nazar, by some miracle, is still available. I'm running to the stage to take that guy. And I think Jeff Gordon's of the same mind. There are players in this draft that might slip out of the top 10 that deserve to be top 10. To me, you know, I might shock people with this, but I think Frank Nazar might have the highest point potential out of this draft. He might just be the highest producer out of this draft. If, if there's there's rankings that have him in the twenties, so it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him available at fifteen, sixteen. If Gordon's comfortable trading up for that pick, I'm comfortable trading up for that pick. I mean, there's a lot of options when you have that many selections this year and the next. I think we're going to see a lot of trade ups this year. And to come back to habits, that's a good habit to have when the drop off is so steep. How many twenty to thirty guys either don't make the NHL or make it in a bottom six role and a third pair role. We've seen that happen a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that from uh, Jeff Gordon this year. Had he talking about habits? Yeah. Uh, Matt. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade back either. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously this is a new administration, but they've had success trading back in the past. I mean, look how they got Joshua Wyatt. 
right? I, there's a lot of guys who stand a slide this year. Like uh, Nazar, I don't, I don't know if he could slide to 26. I don't know how you feel about your integrity, Hattie. Maybe you could poison the well a little bit and write some articles and say how <laughs> terrible he is. And we try to push him back no to 26. Way. And uh, uh, But who knows, right? Uh, I, I think there's a few guys that, that could maybe slide. Like Jagger Furcus is another guy. Uh, uh-huh. He is probably gone at 26. But if you go back to the Cole Caulfield draft, I mean, when I was looking at that draft, I was uh, Cole Caulfield was the guy I hoped would slide, but I was like, he's going to be gone. We're not getting him there. And then we did. So this is another draft similar to last year where I think some guys are going to slide undeservedly because their production is skewed. You're not getting the production that you may have gotten if they got that extra year of development. Right. Again, I talked about it with Shane, Wright. He missed an entire year and then he had to come in and he had to play with rookies for the first half of the year. Never complained, worked his ass off. Then he got uh, some higher end line mates that are already drafted in the NHL and his production took off. And you saw what he's able to do when he's playing with players that are more up to what he's capable of doing. Right. And there's going to be other players in that, in this draft that are in the same boat, right. That didn't get, they, they had an entire season canceled for most of those guys. It was their sophomore season. So it would have been their second season or some of them. It was even their rookie season that they missed. So they're basically playing their draft minus one year right now. That is going to change some opinions because people are going to look at the production and they're going to go, okay, uh, I'm dropping this guy on my list because he didn't do what I thought he was going to do this season. And they don't necessarily look at the context. It's what have you done for me lately? And if the answer is he hasn't done enough for me lately to pick him, then he drops. So there is a possibility some of those guys, maybe Nazar drops a little bit and then you trade up because you really like him and he's available at a spot that you can reasonably make that trade for with the picks that you have. Maybe Jagger Furcus drops and you get him at 26, which I think would be highway robbery almost. There's, there's going to be stuff like that. And as a result, you can either trade up or trade down if you're smart with it and you get the right value for the trades that you make, then you could still end up with some really good players. It's also, as you, as you all mentioned here in regards to the draft, there is the situation, as we saw with the Cole Caulfield draft and really started the fall of Cole Caulfield, it was Montreal taking more cider. <laughs> Great pick, let's be honest about that. But he wasn't predicted in going in that area, and that caused a mayhem to go for every defender that was left on the board. Montreal took more yeah. cider? No, Detroit. <laughs> Damn, I'm Montreal. pissed off now. Like, where, where, where's our cider? Ah, uh, yeah, it's 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 past midnight here. So yeah, I make mistakes. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but but I mean, yeah, like Detroit took more cider, and that started a a snowball effect of going off for uh, in yeah. for for different uh, defenders. And I can see that happening here, especially you know because there are no defenders to take except except for Nimitz and 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 uh, Yiricek. Well, but, no, uh, no, Noah Warren should go third overall for sure, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's it's there are these intangibles that goes on in the draft and and create sort of a group think and group dynamic. Uh, so it will be interesting to see because there are some really good players in this draft that will fall for certain for reasons unknown or or reasons that Matt and Hattie just spoke about. Jared, you want to push in here as well. Yeah, I think this is really the third year in a row where the draft is filled with uncertainty because you're still dealing with with players that have less data on them than otherwise would. And and I think, you know, going forward, you're going to, you know, I think this is really the last year, hopefully, uh, that that the pandemic will will (laughs) affect these players uh, quite a bit. But you have most of these guys who missed their 16-year-old season, uh, some of them 17-year-old seasons, uh, you know, some of them missing part of their season before that. So this is really another year where the data is a little bit skewed. You have, you know, scouts that haven't traveled to see some of these players as much. Uh, you have different variables and things like that. So, yeah, I think that the, the draft is definitely uh, a different, you know, the different kind of fog of war, maybe a little bit more fog uh, surrounding these picks. But I think the main thing about this draft and, you know, you have Hattie who says trade up, you have Matt who says trade down, and really they're both kind of right because the, there's there's a lot of depth to this pool uh, where, you know, once you get to about the, you know, maybe even as high as eight or nine down to like 40 or so, it, it's pretty hit or miss. You're going to have a lot of variables here. And, you know, we, we track the draft rankings, or I do at Eisen Prize, and, and, 
you know, we're not, we're still, they're still trickling in the final rankings haven't really been in yet, but the variability is, is insane. You know, the, the, the person ranked six in the rankings has 10 spots between their highest and lowest rankings, you know, in the top 10, you're seeing 15, 20 spots between their best and bottom rankings. And I think that that's what you're going to see among teams too. So, you know, you talk about guys like, you know, Furkis and, and Nazar and, and all those guys, there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be falling because other teams like other guys more. And, you know, you look at guys like, you know, Marco Casper can go anywhere from top 10 to, you know, end of the first round. And, you know, I think that he's had a coming out party a little bit at the world championships as well. So there's a lot of depth to this pool. And I think that having a lot of, there's something to be said, obviously for having the top pick, but the Canadians also have a quantity of picks as well that they can play with. And, and, you know, they don't need, 14 prospects of this draft uh they, they can yep. afford to maybe have three or four and, and use some picks to move up so yeah i, I think it's going to be a very interesting draft and and obviously the intrigue at number one you know we might we're probably not going to have a, an answer until maybe a few days before the draft when the canadians decide they want to start selling jerseys um to people before they they announce the pick uh obviously they they have that had they have that luxury uh where people can you know get their tickets for the draft walk in and and get their jersey already. Uh, so I think that we probably will know a few days before the draft. Um, but who knows? Maybe we will trade the pick. Who knows? I'm going to call this short now. And, and I'm going to finish off with a question for each of and every one of you. Uh, who will Montreal pick at number one? Starting with Anton. Shane Wright. Hadi. Shane Wright. No doubt about it. Matt. Noah Warren. <laughs> oh, come on Shane Wright come on it's it's Shane Wright if it's not Shane Wright I'm I'm, I'm gonna be upset I'm sure still you, you gotta be that quiet. meme on on uh, on Twitter then all right cool uh Jared <laughs> we're, we're setting this up to have a lot of reactions like caught Kanyemi lady um in 2018 <laughs> where people are just gonna be like completely shocked if they don't pick right no I, I think I think it's going to be right uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if they don't pick right because they're gonna they know they can't screw this up. So uh, okay. they'll have a lot more data than than I do. So I'm, I, there's a lot of good players they could pick. I think they're gonna take right, um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's somebody else. Um, well, but that, the important that, thing is there's no bad. That's players. basically you know uh, calling well. I mean, uh, highlighting every possible move, isn't it? Yeah, like he's, he's it is just saying. Yeah. Well, it could go this way. It could also go that way, right? And if you yeah. and well, and, and the I funny thing is, the Montreal Canadiens don't even know what they're doing yet. So. Jared's a Jared's a habitual <laughs> fence sitter. Yeah, yes. he's sitting I, on I fences. You're a habitual I am, fence I'm, sitter. I'm, I'm devil's advocate. I All almost right. I almost thought that Matt would uh, consider Jordan Dumais as first of all. <laughs> hey, oh, look, boy. my boy Jordan. We're get we're getting him, but we're getting a steal, my friend. I'm I'm beating the drum. First, Jordan Jordan Dumais is terrible. Nobody pick him. Nobody pick him. You don't want to pick him. Nobody pick him. <laughs> All right. And if you don't want to buy the jersey uh, from, from Montreal Canadiens, our friend Andrew Sadonofsky has his own shop, uh, t-shirt shop where you can buy the uh, Make the Right Choice t-shirt. So, so you know, I'll put a little ad for that as well. I was one of the guys that said that, you know, uh, uh, Lionel was close to uh, going first overall in regards to uh, Matthews. Uh, I'm going to just finish on that note that, uh, yeah, I think uh, that development was maybe a little bit off as well. Um, but uh, as final thoughts, I also think that Shane Wright is the pick to go. And I expect Montreal to take that when the time comes. I'm surprised uh, nobody said Jack Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Um, both listeners and obviously the expert panel today will be back for more draft coverage for sure we will be back for uh, maybe a reaction on the uh, uh, hiring official hiring of martin san louis and i'm sure jared will have something for the ahl playoffs where the rocket are going on a chair and hopefully brings it all home thank you